this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The Hop Nerd Podcast is brought to you by Hop University. Head on over to hopuniversity.org. That's hopuniversity.org. We offer on-demand and in-person hop training, speaking engagements, one-on-one coaching for safety professionals, and consultation to organizations for all things safety better. Again, head over to hopuniversity.org. O-R-G. Today's episode is also brought to you by Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about, aka my first book. You can pick up a copy over at safetysucks.net if you want a signed copy. It's also available on Amazon through Amazon Prime. You can get a Kindle version of that. You can also head over to Audible or iTunes and get an audiobook version. Again, today is brought to you by Safety Sucks. Head over to safetysucks.net or pick up a copy wherever you find books or audio books. Hello! Howdy! Hi everybody, Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast, coming to you from the sunny and beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Before we get too far into this thing, do me a favor, head over, check out the websites, www.thehopnerd.com. Go check out hopuniversity.org, that's hopuniversity.org, for all things safety better, and go follow along, like, subscribe, do all that kind of fun and crazy stuff over on all of our social media platforms. Today is is super cool. So I'm not going to drone on and on and on because today we have a conversation with the one and the only Dr. Todd Conklin. So we'll jump right into this thing. This one's a little different. This is just us kind of hanging around and having a conversation. So here we go. You, me, Todd Conklin hanging out. But yeah, very cool. We can we can jump right into it. I didn't have any any particular thing I wanted to talk about. I definitely wanted to dive in and first and just uh just welcome you and then ask you about your new book. Oh, okay. That'd be excellent. What do you want to know? Just just the story behind it, how you how you found yourself writing it, what it's about, all, all of it. Give give everybody a good uh, a good intro to it. So, the it's really interesting cuz I never ever want to write another book. I mean, I never like right. sit and think, "Oh, I should write another one." Like like Sydney Decker the last time we talked, he's like, uh, "What are you doing?" because you're not traveling and you're at home. And I said, well, I'm, just, I'm hanging out. I'm enjoying. I really, what I'm into is e-bikes right now. I got an e-bike. So that's yeah. really fun. Cool. Do you have one of those? No, no, no. Oh, no. Sam, get one. But really? put that, yeah, go, go, go ride one and come back and tell me how much you like it. But, <laughs> but he said, so Decker told me, he said, you know, I'm not impressed because if I had an empty month, I'd write another book. Well, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not going to write a book every month. But this book is, I kind of got talked into it before the pandemic stuff, before all these multiple crises happened. Um, a, a friend of mine, Martha Acosta, said, you should do a book on all the stuff you do when you go into a fatality investigation. Because maybe people don't know that because they don't do very many of those. Right. And that's probably true, right? I mean, they probably don't. Hopefully. They never have to do any. That would be perfect. That would be like the best day ever if you never had to do a fatality investigation. So I thought, well, okay, that's okay. And I started writing it and I got it. I kind of got it almost done. Right. And then the pandemic happened. And so I rewrote the introduction part and uh, 
I don't know. I, it seemed like it was kind of timely. Yeah. So I put it out and it's, it's, I'm surprised at how it's done really well. It's kind of a subversive little book mm-hmm. because it's really about the idea of restorative response versus retributive response. So blame and punish and learn and improve, right? Right, right. But I talk about it a lot under the frame of a catastrophic failure or a big crisis like this. Right. Um, and so, I don't know. I just, I had it kind of ready. And uh, I just, I went ahead and published it. Nice. I think it's my last one. No. But I think I say that no, every time. No, no, no. <laughs> Seriously, I, do, I think I say that every time. Well, yeah, I'm sure, right? I'm sure you, you get all the way through that process and then you're like, okay, never again. <laughs> Well, no, it's it's not really never again because it's they're uh they're not I don't think they're bad. It's not a bad thing to do. No, it's just uh I just don't I don't think I have anything to say. Right. So once you write them, you sort of run out of stuff to say. Yeah. And you know it's time to write a new one when you start thinking, oh, I, I got this would be interesting to talk about this. So then you talk about something interesting. No, that's great. And so I, I think it's interesting that you kind of found yourself almost done and then, and then all of a sudden kind of having to check and adjust and then kind of mold it into the, uh, into the new world, huh? Yeah, that was kind of a, that was sort of a cool, I don't know if anything can be cool in this, but uh, that, was, that was a very interesting thing because I actually, it, it was, it sort of fit everything kind of, I didn't really have to rewrite anything. Yeah. It kind of all went together because it was about, you know, catastrophic failure, uncertainty, surprise, all the kind of stuff. I just, I sort of rewrote the introduction and went that way. It's, it's, we find ourselves in interesting times. And I mean, even, even going down that path just a little bit, I know that's one thing that I've seemed to kind of find in my, my day-to-day life is as the world was thrown into chaos and confusion, uh, it seems like even more forward-thinking organizations that have been going down the the paths of human and organizational performance, they almost seem to be regressing a little bit. Have you experienced any of that or seen any of that kind of happening? But I think that's kind of normal. So I think, I think organizations ebb and flow, they move forward and backwards. Yeah. It's kind of a pendulum. They swing towards the new view and then something will happen and scare them and they'll swing back towards kind of the old, you know, name, shame, blame and retrain. And then they'll get better and swing back and forth, back and forth. I think that's pretty normal. I think that's how progress happens all the time. I used to think progress was kind of a one-way continuum. Yeah. You know, yeah. that once you got smarter, you never went back to dumb. But I'm realizing that progress is really on a continuum and that we'll make some big strides and then we'll move backwards kind of in a corrective motion. And I think it has a lot to do with people are afraid. There's a lot. So... The biggest lesson for me that I think about all the time is people fear change more than they desire improvement. Mm. And so if you're afraid of change, then you'll, you'll do things like vote against your best interests. That's kind of an Arizona comment, right? Or, (laughs) but it is sort of right. Or you'll absolutely, you'll do things in ways that you're relatively certain aren't going to work. They're not going to make a big difference. They're not going to make a long-term sustainable change to the organization. It's, it's true with things like discipline, right? People really believe they have to discipline workers for safety infractions, even though if you pushed them, probably every one of the leaders would say, it doesn't, you know, it probably doesn't make a long-term change. 
Mm-hmm. But it's emotionally satisfying. And if I don't discipline, it looks like the worker got away with something. How much of how much of that truly comes from just that that satisfaction? The emotional satisfaction? Yeah. I mean that that drive I mean, have, about driving down discipline because so much of what I've what I see and what I what I experience is that when we have something not so great occur and it in any level, whether it's safety related, not safety related, whatever in an organization, um, the organization seems to just want to extract its pound of flesh from the wrongdoer, from the sinner, right? The person that sinned against the most sacred more so than actually wanting to fix anything. So is that coming from that need for, for emotional satisfaction? Is that, does that need outweigh the desire to fix stuff? So I think there's, there's a couple things that kind of coexist. One is the belief that bad things happen because somebody must have done something bad yeah. is really strong, right? So, so the only way our system could fail, because our system's really good. We got it worked out, man. We're, we got the best system ever. <laughs> the only way I could fail is if somebody did something bad. They didn't follow a rule or didn't follow a procedure, you know. So there's that. Uh, and that's really, if you want the fancy pants word, and you run a, a damn university now, so you better start using fancy <laughs> pants word, right? That's called the fundamental attribution disorder. Yep. And that's the belief that they're bad, but I'm not bad. I wouldn't have done the same thing had it been me that they did because it was them, right? Right. There's kind of classic sort of Nietzschean existentialism, hmm. which is there's an empty place. It's hard to believe that something bad could just happen. Right. So because we have to fill the empty place in our souls, that's existentialism, right? With meaning. Right. That one way to give it meaning is to say the worker should have stopped work before right. the failure happened. The worker should have followed the rules that would have been appropriate for the event that happened. Even though the hazard wasn't recognized until it appeared, they should have been able to psychically recognize that as part of the problem. And then I do think the third one is um, less mature leaders believe in a strong command and control model, even though, and I'm not against the command and control model. I think it works great for organizations that have strong command and control structure. Like the military is a really great example of command and control. Yeah. But the thing about the military is there's a whole set of cultural values around command and control that make it work. And it's relatively just. I mean, there's, there's ways to look at it. Uh, if the system fails, your workplace, the difference between Arizona Power and the United States Army is that the United States Army owns their workers. Right. Arizona Power pays their workers. Right, right. You know, it's, it's why, didn't, why don't you make overtime in the military? Because that's not the relationship you have. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's, that's, nobody <laughs> promised you that. Right, right. But Arizona Power, that's how you buy a boat. Yeah, <laughs> you do a storm response, and you you know you get to get a new boat. That's interesting. Yeah, and what would you say to folks out there, or any I guess any pro tips, any advice for people out there? How can we start to move past that need to to I don't want to say to punish, but to to extract that that pound of flesh? How can we move past some of that? Because as we're kind of going down this path, we're we're really saying that a lot of it's human nature, right? I mean, it feels good to punish a wrongdoer, right? Or a perceived wrongdoer. It, it feels good to assign some intent to their actions, right? It feels good to say, well, they did this because they're obviously a bad person, 
right? They, they, they didn't, uh, they didn't pay enough attention. So they weren't, they, they just were not good enough of a worker because they didn't pay enough attention. So they were a bad person. So they deserve whatever comes to them. Um, how can we move past some of those ideas though? What, anything, any advice for folks out there that are trying to move their organizations past that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is you have to redefine the safety. So safety is not an outcome, uh, but that's how we measure it. And that's how we talk right. about it, but it's not an outcome. For anybody who's ever touched a tool, safety is not an outcome, right? That's the old argument between good and lucky. And how do you know if an accident didn't happen if you were safe? Right, right, right. Right, we know how to have that discussion. Yeah. But you really have to, you have to redefine that. So you have to shift the paradigm or shift people's belief systems, which is harder. And what you're really doing, if you look at Edgar Schein, is you're changing their fundamental assumptions about right. what safety is. Yeah. So safety is not the absence of failure. It's the presence of capacity, right? We have that talk all the time. Right. right? The right. second thing you have to do is you have to help people understand that the way we view workers creates the outcome we get. So if you see the worker as the problem to be fixed, then all your responses are going to be fixing the worker. Hmm. But if you see the worker as a, incredibly profoundly deep expert on systems they understand how systems work then what happens is you don't really fix the worker you use the worker to understand how to fix the system so those two shifts are really important and the way you do that is is you just have to change the dialogue around safety you know one thing is you probably ought to talk about success at some point i mean we just we suck at that Awful, yeah, absolutely. And it's just dumb because we have so much success. Part of the reason we suck at it is because it would be really hard to track success because you'd need a giant database and it'd Mm -hmm. be a lot of work because mostly what workers do is go into highly adaptive, volatile environments and successfully perform high-risk work. Right. And that's mostly what happens. But we don't really look at that. We only really study accidents and we study the crap out of accidents to somehow try to define what normal operations look like, hmm. but it's not normal operations because it's an accident. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly where my mind goes when you say that. We're 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 trying to define normal by examining the abnormal, right? Right, and that, and we and we've done it for years, and that right. so that's what we got to change, or we have to help change that somehow. Wow. Good, oh, luck. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Get after that, will you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's uh, you bring up a really, a really interesting conversation point that uh, or piece that I think comes up a lot. And I was, I was just having this conversation with somebody earlier today, actually, um, around this idea of of measure and metrics in the organization. Um, what would you tell folks out there? Because uh, the the first thing that's going to come up is they're going to say, "Well, what should I measure?" And I guess I guess that's what I'm asking. What what would be what would be your response to that? What when? Well, I think you have uh, to have I think you have to have a bigger discussion around metrics. Yeah. Right. So what when they ask that question, just ask them this: Are all metrics the same? Right. Well, so are they? Yeah. No. No. God no. (laughs) Right. So you have really. I mean, you can look at metrics in a lot of ways, but the idea that we've sort of built this argument that there's either you know, there's either predictive, what do we call them? Leading lagging. Leading lagging. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, my brain <laughs> erased awful. that, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's kind of, that's kind of stupid because that's, that's sort of like too valued, right? Mm, yeah. 
really what we have are we have summative metrics, which I guess are classic lagging metrics, right? Then we have process use metrics, which we're actually quite good at. In the utility industry, you guys can tell me how much loads on your system. You know, you can tell me how many people are running air conditioners. I mean, you know, you can use process use metrics, which aren't really summative metrics. They're, you know, we have this much load, so we need this much capacity. And then the last thing you have are are formative metrics, metrics that create outcomes that you want to see. That's that's probably a better way to look at it. And so you say, well, not every metric's the same. So you'll need some process use metrics, right? You'll need to validate and verify your capacity. So validate and verify fall protection availability or, you know, whatever you want to pick, whatever safeguard you're into. Look at your summative metrics, but try to measure positives because that's probably more helpful. So don't look for deviation. Go out and actually verify the presence of, you know, effective use of controls, effective processes and procedures, rules and regulations. And then look at formative metrics. What do you want to see more of? Yeah. And if you want to see more of this, then put some metrics around you so you see more of that. Right? It's like, it's it's classic sort of behavioral uh, approach to change, right? So if you want to change something, then you have to change many different things you look at. Right? You just can't say, I'm not going to eat donuts anymore. You probably right. stop buying donuts. Or, right, right, right. I'm going to go to right, the was, gym more, whatever the case right. is. I was, I, was, I was just having this, this conversation the other day uh, on the pod, just talking about that because it was, you know, as it, I think it's just a great example. You know, you, most of us, well, at least I have, uh, maybe most, I've packed on like the quarantine 40 over here, you know, be squirrel, squirreled away eating uh, Grubhub sushi and, you know, sitting on the couch all day. <laughs> the gym's close and everything else. So I've been on a diet, right? I've been on a diet trying to lose some of this quarantine weight, but I would find myself half awake, like a big grizzly bear in the middle of the night coming down to the kitchen. And then I'd wake up covered in, you know, Reese's wrappers and stuff the next day till finally I realized that I could not rely on my behavior to pull me through this. And I had to just trash the Reese's and just be okay with that. Right. Well, but, uh, but the better question is, did you stop buying Reese's? I did. Right. So that's exactly it for now, at least <laughs> for now. Well, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> nothing has to be permanent. Right. I, I, don't, I don't need it to be permanent. But, but my, I, I couldn't rely on my own willpower to survive this. Right. I, I couldn't will myself in, into compliance. Right. So I found myself getting rid of the Reese's and keeping them out of the house just as a really stupid example. But <laughs> it worked. So now when I wake up and I walk into the kitchen in the middle of the night and there's just water. I have I have no no Reese's to pursue now, so I'm okay. And it and it sort of changes stuff, right? It's right, right. <laughs> better and so what's uh what what's going on in the world of Todd? What's going on in the world of all things uh, all things Hop? What do you have coming up next in the world? Me? Yeah. I don't know. That's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, it's. So the world's changed, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole different place. And so that means that we're in a position where we have to change the way we do our work. Mm-hmm. And so that's been fun, kind of. I've really enjoyed that. So I took, like, my fundamentals class, which is a class that I don't do a lot, but I, I am now. And I changed it 
so that it's much more effective through mediated through you know computer learning right so it's three one and a half hour blocks and then each block has a really strong theme and a good set of objectives and then there's an action learning between class one and two and class two and three and so you get to go out and actually practice the stuff we talk about in the first lesson and that's been really valuable i mean that's that's made a huge difference um you know i've i've really tried to think about like i don't use i don't use screen view for slides right so i put a monitor behind my head and then i worked with the contrast of the monitor and changed my slide colors so that now when i show slides i'm still on screen mm-hmm. and the slides are in a monitor behind my head and that's been really helpful um those are those are kind of the changes it's it's i it's really hard to figure out what it's all going to look like for us. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's changed in your world. Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar, right? I think it's uh, a, a lot of adapting, right? Just trying to feel our way through these things and just see what it, it all looks like, you know, just kind of normal day to day. I like, I like most, you know, I'm, I'm scrolled away in the house or scroll away here at the, uh, here at the studio, you know, doing stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just that it's just filling it out day by day for me, just kind of seeing what it is. Um, just about everything, everything in my life has gone to uh, some form of WebEx, Zoom, or Teams meeting, <laughs> you know, which is which is interesting. I think it's interesting. I was I was um, I find myself when I do have a phone conversation. I was talking to a dear friend of mine today, and we ended up chatting for over an hour or so, just talking about the excitement that we have to finally be able to reconnect with people at some point in, in, in the future. Uh, just because of this whole distance thing. So I think, I think that's a lot of what, uh, you know, for me, the adapting is probably the easier part, you know, coming through and, and figuring out uh, how we can put things into Zoom or into Teams or into, in, you know, on-demand formats and all these different things. Because um, we, we obviously do that with, with podcasting all the time, connecting with people all, all around the world. I think the harder part for me uh, and I think I find it with most uh, most of our friends in this this profession is that we're very we're very peoply. Right? So I'm no I'm personally struggling struggling with with not getting to be as peoply in person. So I haven't quite figured a way around that one. Yet. Well, I think you have to find a solution, right? You have to find ways. That's why I quit using the slide view mm-hmm. is because I, I want to find ways to build those relationships, even though they're mediated. To build those relationships. And I found, at least I found when I go to 1 million Zoom meetings, that as soon as they go to slide view, you know, okay, yeah. I'm going to look at somebody's slide. Right, right. And I don't know. I sort of shut slide off. View, slide view results in the phones coming out, right? Well, kind of. So, so I thought, well, there has to be a better way to do this. And then, you know, you have to really change. I think you have to change the way you have relationships with people. You have to be much more deliberate ask questions early. And then I think it really behooves you to work at it. So where you used to just be able to walk down the hall and hang out with people. Yeah. That's kind of gone. Right. So you have to create opportunities to build community. And I think you want to build community in a way that is forward looking, but it's hard and it's really hard because people ebb and flow. I mean, you probably see this, you have really positive days and you have days where you're just like god yeah 
is exactly. airball. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and, and they, and they, you know, a really bad day is almost always followed by a good day. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's really, it's a test of your own personal resilience mm. and it's a test on what you prioritize is important. So if relationship building is important and it is right. right. Then the question you want to ask is what are you doing to maintain those relationships? Are you, yeah. and you, and you're doing, this is not, I'm not preaching to you because you're doing stuff, but I mean, you think, am I, am I checking in with people enough? Am I asking the right questions? Am I yeah. Yeah. available? You and know. that's part, that's and, part and I'm seeing, so easy, I'm seeing like right? LinkedIn is just freaky. Oh God. And it, but it is. LinkedIn's always freaky, but, <laughs> but it's always freaky, but it's freaky <laughs> now because it's, it almost feels desperate kind of. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people put these kind of desperate things on it and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really solid reminder that you share though, because it's very easy. I think in, in this current situation uh, especially as as we're we're away from one another, as you mentioned, it was it was so much easier in the past, right? You could you could walk down the hallway, or you could you could you could easily find your way to another human being and interact, right? Um, yeah. And mo- and most of us, most of us, you know, in our in our jobs, we have we have some pretty tight knit groups of folks, right? That we're they're family, right? They're practically family. Um, and for that distance to now be in the way, you really have to actively try to do those things, right? In the past, what was so easy and, and almost effortless now takes quite a bit of effort to actually try to maintain those relationships. I think that you bring up a really valid point and a really good reminder to myself and to everyone else out there is that it's very easy right now to kind of fall into this, this kind of, this kind of floating session where we're just not doing anything right um to where you know we're not reaching out to folks we're we're not we're not even texting or calling or anything else just because we're we're kind of reclusive now right so i think i think that's a a really really great reminder and it's you have to be deliberate right i mean it's it's, just, yeah. it's forcing us to be deliberate and it's forcing us to think okay how how can i maintain some semblance of connectedness with people. Right. And I think you just, it's a great experiment. I mean, I don't think anyone knows how to do it. No, no. no. Well, it's just, it's weird, right? It's, Maybe it's Tinder. Just, I think the guys, right? the people at Tinder do. Yeah. I think, well, that's what, that's what I was going to say. What direction, like do you, a, what direction do you swipe <laughs> when you get rid of people? That's what I was going to say. I don't, I'm not a Tinder guy, so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know which one we would uh, swipe left, right for whatever. We had to figure out what the commands would be for yeah. it. <laughs> what would be the meaning behind the swipes, I guess, would be. The <laughs> yeah. I think the interesting part is going to, uh, is going to, is going to be to really see where all this goes. And I think that would be my, my, my next kind of question to you to my, my fortune teller question is where do you think it all goes? So I don't know. I mean, that's, I think that's really, so I think that's a really interesting question, right? I mean, I, I, I'm doing a workshop with senior level people, yeah, uh, and I'm doing a lot right now, which is weird. And it's and basically, one of the things I'm helping them understand is that, to a great extent, we don't really have an answer to that question, and yeah. that's hard. It's really hard to senior leaders because. They're used to making long-term strategic plans and they can tell you what Q3 is going to look like. You know, we want to believe we're in charge of our own destiny or, or better yet. We want to believe that our organization is in charge of the organization's destiny, 
but really what we're doing is we're sort of blindly moving towards uncertainty. And I think we have to understand that that's, that's kind of a part of what's going on. I, to me, one of the most interesting parts of this is, is if this pandemic would have happened 10 years ago, I don't honestly know how we'd have done our work. Yeah, exactly. Because the technology at least allows us to connect and there's a lot of stuff we can do remotely, uh, you know, but 10 years ago, none of that. I don't think any of that would have, would have existed. No. So that's, that's interesting. And you're going to see a lot of technological advancements that are going to be really gassed up. They're going to be completely sped up just because, I mean, they're solving problems all the time. Like, I just heard Teams is going to put breakout rooms in Microsoft Teams. So, I mean. Wow. <laughs> It'll be interesting, yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think that's something that is very interesting about about what has happened. And, and exactly that is the way that we have been forced to respond, right? I mean, we've, we've really been forced to adapt. And yeah. as you said, it's, it's, you know, a lot of this situation has acted as almost an accelerant on all those different things that, we, that you just mentioned, Right uh, around the technology, right? We, we we can all kind of remember back to when this first started really transpiring, and Zoom was having all the issues that Zoom was having, right? All this, right, the, yeah, right. the original security issues of Zoom, right? Because it acted as almost a gigantic magnifying glass, you know, on the, the, the problems that it might have been small at the time, right? And now you have this massive influx of users, and we have all these issues. But I think it is interesting to see not only. Uh, not only in in the stuff that like what we're doing right now, as we mentioned with Zoom and, and we mentioned Microsoft Teams and kind of all these other pieces of, of technology that are being being adapted or that are are being created, but to also see organizations that are starting to come up with some pretty creative solutions to just about everything, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty wild to see all that taking place. I think that there there might be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those folks that tries to find some positive in a lot of things. And there's very, very little positive in the situation that we're in. Uh, but at the very least, it seems like we're actually actually coming up with some little pieces that we might be able to deem as positive later on. Maybe. I mean, I, I think that's noble. I know that's yeah. noble. <laughs> yeah. it's, I, it's, I don't know. I tell everyone it's my first pandemic, so I don't really know what's going to go on. Right. Yeah, you know, I don't know anybody that was around for the 1918. They'd be really old. Yeah, but that that would be a uh, yeah exactly <laughs> that'd be a very old person. But it's it's I, it's going to be interesting to I, who knows I just don't you don't know what the future will hold and the belief we can control it I think we're all learning quite aggressively that you don't have a lot of control over the future. So then you look at things like mindfulness, which they talk about in in a high reliability organization or organizing mm-hmm. or whatever they call it this week. Yeah. Um, Right. And you start to realize that really what you, you have to sort of exist now. Uh, because if you don't exist now, then there you go. There you are. I mean, it's a mess. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a piece of what, uh, kind of to your point, even down to the individual, right. I think that we have found that, uh, and I know, I know I felt this, I think everyone has felt this at some point through this. And I think that's where a lot of organizations have, have at least started to really focus on the kind of well-being of their employees uh, because it's, it's very easy without that, or at least that perceived sense of certainty, right. To just kind of, to drift off, 
right? Yeah. It's, it's very well, easy to become to drift off, drift. Away. And I think that's what that's what we're having to learn, right? Is we're just having to learn to to, to manage uncertainty. Yeah, and then yeah. it's kind of handy for us because that's what we talked about anyway. So right. that's not completely. Let me uh, let me throw this in here for you, just because, and and uh, I don't want to don't want to keep you dragging on for too long. We we had a a nice long uh, political chat that can remain off the pod, so uh, we'll save that one for the B side day. That's right. That'll make us better. <laughs> that, that we'll save we'll save that one for the uh, for the unreleased tapes one of these days. Because <laughs> people already hate us now, they just hate us. <laughs> Let me so let me throw this out out to you. This is uh, the the kind of the famous or infamous question, I guess, that I ask everybody. I, I don't know how it came to be, but it's any last words, any final words, uh, anything that's on your heart or in your mind that that you would uh, that you'd like to share with folks out there. My you know my audience is mostly uh, leaders and, and frontline safety practitioners and and those folks. Um, any go dos or any pro tips or anything that you'd like to share with those folks? So that's a really that's a great question little open-ended yeah, yeah it's almost like it. just a tiny bit open-ended that's why i like it but you can go anywhere anything. so that's good go it's anywhere. not very it's not very limiting <laughs> so i think the idea of building community is more important now than it's ever been before hmm. and i think the opportunity to build community not only to help further the understanding of the way we talk about safety and reliability but also building community so we can sort of have each other to support one another during a time when we can't walk down the hall and talk to our friend. Mm. I think that said, I think the one thing I would be wary of, or the thing I think about a lot is the artificial separation that exists now between essential, non-essential and that some workers aren't sitting in the couch eating Reese's cups. They'd like to be, but they aren't. And so there's a tremendous amount of risk that people are exposed to that I think is really worth thinking about. And ask this question, have we created an environment where the controls necessary for people to do the work they have to do are available to them? They can, they can make things happen. And that question is an important question. I don't know. That's, that's just off the top of my head what I'd say. I like it. I think, I think it works. I think it works very well. It's very fitting. Good. It, got, it got me off the pod, so I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. That was it. I like it. I love it. I got to have more of it. That was the one, the only, the super amazing and awesome Dr. Todd Conklin. That's all I've got. I don't know what else to say after that. Maybe go back and listen to it again. That That's it. That's all, that's all I can say. It's Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, signing off. <sighs> bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.